Hi, my name is Carly. Um, the Old Testament reading is found in Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Sherry. The New Testament reading is found in Romans eight fourteen to 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Bill. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John 14, 12 to 13. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing just for a moment. Heavenly Father, you certainly do not need an invitation into this place, but we just take a moment to invite you nonetheless. Would you come? Would you fall upon this place in such a way that we would see you, that we would hear you, and that we would know you, that we would grow even more familiar with your power, with your presence, and with your voice here today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, declares the Lord. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, these are the words of Christ, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. In fact, indeed, greater things than these. Greater things, greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father, Jesus says. Greater works will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father, hear these words, that the Father will be glorified through the Son. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in my Son. If you ask me anything, Jesus says, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 14, that was our gospel reading this morning. I remember hearing those words for the very first time, and probably a lot like you hearing Jesus say, indeed, greater things than these, and going, that's got to be a typo. There's no way Jesus could actually mean that, right? I mean, this is Jesus. Look at his life. Look at his public ministry through the lens of the gospels. Everything that he said, the way that he taught, look at the things that he did. And this is Jesus saying to the disciples and to those who would come after greater things than these. I just, in my mind, going, there's no way. Really? Jesus? Is this really you? Greater things than these, he says. Whoever believes in my name, declares Jesus. These are not my words, these are his. Whoever believes in my name, will do the works that I do. 
Church, we are in week three of a series called Thy Kingdom Come, where we've been taking a look at the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom? What does it mean? What is it like? What are the implications? What was Jesus actually doing when he was teaching about it? How was he revealing it to us today? What are the implications for us, the church? What are the implications for you and me, members of the church, believers? And the question that we're going to take a look at this morning has to do with that passage. The question, the question excuse me, that we're going to take a look at this morning is this. How are you and I, how are believers, followers of Christ, how are we to function as citizens of the kingdom of heaven? What will life look like? What, what can life look like? What should life look like? How are you and I to function as citizens of the kingdom of heaven? And better yet, and really what I want to focus on, is how are you and I su- supposed to function as citizens of God's kingdom, when we have, when I have, when you have an experience, a lifetime of experience living according to another way. How are we to function? Right now, the kingdom is in your midst, like Evan said last week. First week we talked about in order to understand the nature of the kingdom, we first must understand the nature of the king. And last week, Evan really talked about Luke 17 and the way that God affects, changes our beliefs and our values and that, so that they might affect the way that we live And this week, how are we to function as citizens of the kingdom of heaven when we have a lifetime of experience living according to another way? Is it possible? Can we? Can I? How do I do it? Is it possible? One of my friends, a mentor who's involved with ministry out in Baltimore, Maryland, calls this topic, this yes, but, this now and not yet, he calls it the tension of sanctification. And I love that phrase. Sanctification meaning to be set aside for holy use. We know that we have been, for those who are in Christ, have been made. Paul says when he's writing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, It says, for anyone who is in Christ is a brand new, is a new creation. The old is gone, the old is past, and the new has come. The word for that new creation is kairos. It's a beautiful word. It's not the fixer-upper. It's not the I'm going to polish up like our HGTV home renovations. It is a brand new. I'm going to level the foundation. Brand new. It means new in kind and quality. Think about that. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, offering them this perspective. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new, a kairos, a brand new and kind and quality creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He's encouraging the church to remember this. Yet, we hear that. You hear those words that you have been made new. And in them lie this invitation to experience a new way of life. Yet, what we know what we have been shaped by, what we have learned, what has become habit, what has become normal, is characterized by a way of life that is not, perhaps, in line with the kingdom. So oftentimes we find this. This has been true of my story. I'm sure it's true of some of yours. That it is easier, even in the midst of being made new, even in the midst of the newness, it is easier to operate out of, what, out of the former. It's easier to operate. Our default is to go back, is to operate in what we knew. Amen? Am I alone in that? Okay. The tension of sanctification, that invitation to operate out of a place of newness and in a new way, but the struggle, the reality, the going, what I know, how I've been shaped, what has become normal and habit for me actually reflects a life that is far different than the way Jesus is telling me 
is available to me now. So the question then becomes, is it even possible? Is it even possible to live that new way right now? And we know the answer to that question is yes. Jesus came not just to reveal, not just to define a new way of life for the church, not just to expose a new way of life for those who would become his followers, but he came to make it available. He came to invite us, to invite you and I, you and me, to participate, to be with, and to do the things that Jesus was saying and doing. To cooperate. You're writing down notes. I want you to write down that word. To cooperate. To partner with. And then he gives us everything we need to be with. He gives us everything we need to be with and to do. And that takes the shape. It comes in the form of the gift of the Holy Spirit. The very thing that animated Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. You and I have been given everything we need right here and right now to appropriate you appropriately, excuse me, and to fully function as citizens in the kingdom of heaven. To be with and to do. What was normal for Jesus, think about this, what was normal for Jesus became normal for the, for the disciples. And all of the book of Acts bears witness. All of the book of Acts testifies to that truth. When we see Jesus now gone, gives the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we see the disciples, we see Peter, James, and John operating in the same way that Jesus operated while he he was here on earth. And Acts goes so far as to say when others saw the disciples performing miracles just like Jesus had done because signs and wonders and miracles were normal for Jesus. That when the world around them saw the disciples operating in the same fashion, when they saw signs and wonders and miracles, one particular passage in Acts says this. It says that they were astonished when they, when they saw the courage of Peter and John after they had healed a blind man. It says that they were astonished and they took note. Here they are operating in the same way that they had seen Jesus operate. It says they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That they had been with Jesus. So is it possible? Absolutely. Is it available? You bet. So how do I do it? And can I do it? I know for oftentimes wrestling with that question on a personal level, going, well, aren't those things, aren't those, isn't that way of life reserved? Isn't that way of life reserved for those who were with Jesus? Didn't that season come and go? And if it is present today, if it is available today, isn't that way of life then marked? Isn't it reserved for maybe the pastors and the priests? Isn't it reserved for the so-called super spiritual, the religious elite? And I want to say to you this morning that the answer to that question is no. I want to say to you this morning that the answer to that question is no. So what we're going to talk about this morning is this. God's plan for the kingdom has always been this, that it was always God's intention to establish his kingdom here on earth. It was always God's intention to establish his kingdom here on earth through the testimony of the church, through the body and through its members. It was always God's plan to establish his kingdom here on earth through the testimony, the storytelling, and the behavior, the actions, not just with word, but also in deed, will do the works that I do. Indeed, he will do even greater things than these, Jesus says. It was always God's plan to establish his kingdom here on earth through the testimony of the church, the body, and its members. So what that means, church, is this. 
means that you and I have a role. means that you and I have a role to play. But in order to do it, in order for us to do that, in order for us to function as citizens, to function in the way of Jesus, to live and breathe and, and to move and have our being like Jesus did in the way of the king and then in the ways of the kingdom, in order for us to do that, we need a new baseline. I hope you hear that. You and I need a new starting point. That's what Paul is telling the church in Corinth. He's saying you have a new starting point. But for us today, if we're going to consider how we are to function as citizens, as members of the kingdom of heaven, it's important that you and I get, that we understand that in order to do so, we need a new baseline. And that baseline, simply put, is Jesus. I know that sounds cheesy. (laughs) It's Jesus. It's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Everything that Jesus Christ said and did reveals a way of life that was radically different. It reveals a way of life that shows us the nature of the king and it shows us his ways and it shows us the ways of the kingdom and he makes it available. And again, all of the New Testament, all of the formation of the early church testifies that when we see signs and wonders and miracles available. So what does it have to do with me? What does it have to do with you and I? What's the role that you and I get to play? It's this. I think oftentimes we make the mistake here today. We have made the mistake of thinking, of reserving the works of the kingdom for those in places of authority, for those in positions of leadership in the church. Our New Testament reading said this. It says, you are no longer a slave again to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption, a spirit a spirit through which we cry, Abba, Father. A spirit of association. A spirit that calls us, that equips us to be sons and daughters. Romans 8 also says this. It says that creation waits in eager expectation. That creation is waiting for this. Creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. I would go so far as to add, for the sons and daughters, for us. Creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. So if that's true... How do I do it? How do I do it? I really do believe this with all of my heart. That only when you and I, only when the sons and daughters of God, only when the citizens of God's kingdom are operating out of that place of identity, only when we are operating out of that place of identity, operating out of that place where God has called you sons and daughters, only when we are operating out of that place of identity are we able to accurately, are we able to fully reflect the kingdom in thought, word, and deed only when we are operating out of a place of identity. Now, oftentimes, if you are like me, the response is similar to two weeks ago when we, start, when we shared the story, when we talked about the story of the prodigal son. Oftentimes, I think we make the mistake of thinking it's arrogant and of calling people arrogant who think that they can actually speak on the behalf of Jesus or folks who would actually... Uh, think to, to do things on his behalf, to, to say that they are working on the behalf of, operating out of, in the same way that Jesus Christ did, said and did. Oftentimes we think that's arrogant. We make the mistake of calling that arrogant. But I want to offer you this, this perspective. I want to talk about humility just for a second before we get into our text this morning. I think humility is a word that we've began to think about. When we think of humility, we think of being less than who we are. We think of the picture of the prodigal and the son who comes home and says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. No longer worthy, so make me like a hired hand. And we think that that is humble. And I want to suggest to you that humility is actually radically different than that. That humility looks vastly different than that posture. 
I want to suggest to you that humility actually is an unearned arrogance. It's a confidence that comes from realizing the identity that has been bestowed upon you. Not an identity that you and I have earned, sons and daughters, but an identity that has been bestowed. And maybe the best picture of this in the New Testament, in my opinion, is Jesus when he's about to wash the disciples' feet. Leading up to that, we're told that Jesus, realizing that the Father had put all things under his feet, where he had come from and where he was going, stood up, took off his robe, and began to wash the feet of the disciples. It was this unearned arrogance, this confidence in what the Father had said about him that enabled Jesus to say and to do. And I want to suggest to you, the same is true for you and I, that it is actually humility to stand up and to operate in the ways that God has said are available and true for you. And I want to say something that might ruffle a few feathers, but that's okay because this is a sermon and this is church, and it should. I want to suggest to you this, that it might actually, and you take this home and chew on it, it might actually be more arrogant. If we're going to try and define arrogance and humility, it might actually be more arrogant to operate in any way other, out of an identity, out of a posture, out of any posture that is different from the one that God has said is true about you and me. Think about that for a second. As if to say, I know that you are calling me a son or a daughter, but I refuse. I would actually rather operate as something other than that. To me, that seems way more arrogant, does it not? God, I think you know what's right, but actually I, I, I disagree with this one. Creation waits in eager expectation for the sons and daughters, for the sons of God to be revealed. So how do we do it? What does it look like for you and I to actually operate in those ways? I want to turn your attention to Matthew 14, which is going to be our text for today. I think this story, it's a familiar story. It's a story of Peter and Jesus walking on water. It's one of my all-time favorites. There are a handful of stories. Actually, there are a lot of stories in this book where I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall, and this is one of them. But this story is going to... um, We're going to pull a couple of things out of the story as we look at how are you and I to function as citizens in God's kingdom. So if you would turn to Matthew 14, or if you have it on your phone, flip there. This story comes immediately after Jesus has fed the 5,000 in Matthew's gospel. And you know that story, the disciples with mere morsels, food and some fish, some bread and some fish are told Jesus invites them into a place of belief, and they get to see an incredible miracle. Again, something that was normal for Jesus. They get to see this miracle right before their eyes. And immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus says, why don't you guys go ahead and put out to sea? I'd like for you to cross to the other side, and I'm going to stay here and release the crowd. And after they had, so the disciples do that. They get into a boat, and they start making their way to the other side. And Jesus stays there. And dismisses everyone who had gathered. And then after he had dismisses everybody, Jesus walks up onto a mountainside. I love that this was a normal rhythm for, the, for Jesus. Jesus goes up onto a mountain to be alone with his father and he prays. It says, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he goes up to pray. And when evening came, so it's dark outside, it says that Jesus is there alone on the mountain. But the boat, by this time, was a long way off. And it was being beaten, it says, It says, the boat was a long way off from land, being beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. These are grown fishermen. I'm sure they had spent more than just a few occasions in a storm at sea. And then the story 
gets a little weird. It says that Jesus, again, the boat's a long way off. We can imagine they're in the middle of the sea. And, and while they are there, I'm sure beginning to worry a bit at this storm and the waves that are beating over the boat. It says that they notice something coming towards them. We know that this is Jesus walking on water to them, having a casual stroll through the storm. One of my high school friends years ago, while we were talking about this specific story, asked me this very poignant question. He goes, Joey, have you ever considered that maybe Jesus Christ couldn't swim? (laughs) The things you learn doing youth ministry. I thought, maybe he can't. Who knows? Jesus is walking to them and the disciples in this boat. It says that they are terrified. Would you and I not be the same? It says that they're terrified. It says they saw him walking on the sea. They were terrified and they screamed out, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And Jesus' response is beautiful. Jesus, from a long way off, recognizes their fear and calls them out of it by saying, take heart. I can imagine that the moment he opened his mouth and said, take heart, that these guys, these men and women who had been with Jesus, who had grown accustomed to hearing him speak to the masses, would imagine that they hear those words and go, Jesus? Could that be him? And that they begin to whisper amongst themselves, is that the Christ? And then Peter, whom I love, Peter, in the midst of all of this, excuse me, he says, take heart, it is I, and he calls him out of fear, do not be afraid. And then Peter answers him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it really is you, tell me to come out there. I can imagine Peter, right in this place, being on the brink. He's seen so much, and he's probably beginning to believe. The agreement is teetering on belief in Jesus' and Peter's life, more so than just going, I think he is the Messiah, to going, this man may actually be the Messiah. And so he, some, he says something bold. If it really is you, tell me to come out. And what does Jesus do? Jesus will not miss an opportunity. You know this in your own prayer life. Jesus will not miss an opportunity to double down on your requests. And so Jesus says, Come. And I can imagine Peter's going, I can't make that out. It sounds like you said, stay there. (laughs) And Jesus says, come. No, there's no way he could have said that because I'm Peter. He's Jesus. He's walking on water. I don't do that. And I would imagine the rest of the disciples are going, no, he definitely said, come, Pete. (laughs) I I heard come. James and John are probably going, yep, he said, come. What are you going to do now? So what does Peter do? It says he doubles down on Jesus' invitation to take heart and to be courageous. Peter answers him, and Peter gets out of the boat. We know the story. I can imagine Peter taking one step out and actually feeling his foot not to sink, right? Because if Peter's like me, he's throwing one leg over, and he's just got a pinky toe in, maybe. And then he throws his other foot, and he realizes that he is actually not sinking. And so what does Peter do? It says that he turns, and he begins walking to Jesus. Think about that. I know of no other human in the history of the world who has done this but Jesus and Peter. And it says that Peter is with Jesus doing the things that Jesus naturally did. Peter is walking on water. What a beautiful picture. But, distracted by Jesus and then distracted by the world around him. It says that Peter then sees the wind and the waves 
remembers where he is, remembers what's happening to the boat and around him, and I'm sure I can imagine the waves beating against him even while he's walking, though not sinking. It says that Peter sees the wind and he begins to be afraid and that Peter starts to sink. And in that place of sinking, Peter cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus' response, the Bible says in Matthew, it tells us that Jesus immediately, I love that word, Jesus does not hesitate to answer Peter's request for help. Jesus extends a hand, and he grabs Peter's hand, and Peter, I don't know how deep in the water he is at this point, but he looks down and he begins to pull Peter out of the water, and he looks him in the eyes, I can imagine, and he says these words to him. And please, please, please do not picture Jesus scowling when he says this. But he, picks, he grabs Peter's hands and he takes him out of the water and he pulls him up. And he says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? You have little faith, why did you doubt? And I would imagine the two of them, we're not told, but I would imagine the two of them walk back to the boat. And when they get back to the boat, they crawl inside and all of the disciples, what is their response to seeing this? It says they worshipped him. This is their response. As, as soon as they got in the boat, excuse me, as soon as Peter and Jesus got in the boat, the wind died down, the waves ceased. And it says that their response was to worship saying this, truly you are the Son of God. Truly you are the Son of God. So there are three things I want to point out for us that I think help us consider how we're supposed to function. And the first is this. That in order for you and I to function as citizens of God's kingdom, we have to learn how to recognize Jesus. In order for you and I to function as citizens in the kingdom of heaven, to operate as citizens, you and I have to learn how to recognize Jesus in good times and in bad. Now believe me when I say it, it is so much easier to recognize Jesus in good times. He's doing this, he's doing this, he's doing this. But the moment the wind and the waves come up, where are you, Jesus? Aren't you afraid that we're about to die? Lord, save me. You and I have to learn how to recognize Jesus. And we can do that in two ways, I think. We learn to recognize Jesus individually. And just like the disciples, just like Peter in the story, we grow familiar with his voice. This is so much of the, the John, abide in me and I in you and my word will bear much fruit. Sanctify them by, by your word, Jesus says in John 17, I believe. We learn to recognize his voice. And the second thing, we learn to recognize his movement. We see him acting in and through others, and we call it what it is. That was Jesus. This is Jesus. We see him moving in and through the church, and we go, Jesus is on the move, just like Aslan. <laughs> Aslan is on the move. We learn to recognize, we have to learn to recognize Jesus and his voice in good times and in bad. This is discernment. One of the best definitions of discernment I've ever heard is learning how to adjust the volume and turning down the volume on everything other than Jesus. Discernment is learning how to turn down the volume on every voice, on everything other than Jesus. What might this situation, what might this story have looked like had Peter been able to do that? Sorry, wind. Sorry, waves. I'm, I'm busy right now. Jesus and I are walking on water. We learn how to recognize him. And the second thing is this. We have to learn how to respond in faith and with courage. I love what Jesus says when he says, take heart. 
Some of your translations say this at this part. Some of the, some of the Bibles translate this language as, be of good cheer. That is the weirdest way to translate this I can imagine if you think about it. Because Jesus is walking on water. He looks like a ghost. These guys are in the middle of a storm. Their boat's maybe about to sink. And here's Jesus going, ahoy, be of good cheer. No. (laughs) What this phrase means is literally to take courage. The literal phrase, I keep putting this down, I got to find it. The literal phrase that Jesus says here, For to be of good cheer, to take heart, is to exercise bold and confident courage. Sounds a lot different than be of good cheer, does it not? To exercise bold and confident courage. FDR said this, it's one of my favorite quotes, presidential quotes. He says, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the judgment that there is something better than fear. It's the judgment that there is something better than fear. No doubt Peter is afraid when he's getting in the water. No doubt fear is natural when you and I say yes to the invitation to be with and to do what Jesus is saying. But Peter, in this moment, is saying there is something that trumps my fear. There is something far greater than my fear right now, and that is the invitation to be with and to do. To be with Jesus and to do the things that Jesus is doing. So Peter gets out of the boat, and what I want to say with this, we have to learn how to respond with faith, belief, and courage. Don't think that Peter just made this up in a moment. Peter had an experience with Jesus. He had seen. He had learned to trust. He was building more experiences that blended what he knew to be true about the Christ with what he had experienced in his heart. That enabled Jesus' experience. We are both new and being made new. What I want to say to this, what I'd encourage you is this, is to think of how our response might equal, that the degree of our response might equal the magnitude of the invitation. What that looked like for Peter was actually getting out of the boat when it didn't make sense and walking on water. We have to learn how to respond with faith and with courage. There's a story, what does this look like in a personal way? Because sometimes when you feel the nudging, when you feel the Holy Spirit leading and saying, yep, I'm going to double down on your request. I'm willing to say yes to what you've asked in my name, that it becomes risky. Well, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? We were on trail a few years ago. A friend and I were guiding a group of high school kids. We're in Rocky Mountain National Park at a at a campground called the 4th of July. It's on the west side of the park. It's one of my favorite spots in the park. I proposed to my wife in Rocky Mountain National Park. And we're sitting there and we do something on trail with kids where we would invite every single person to share their life story. It's one of the things we do with every single kid every night. We'll have life stories around the campfire. It's an opportunity for them to feel seen and heard. We value each individual story. And there's this one kid sharing a story. And his particular, this particular kid was the quietest, the shyest. And you could tell that there was something in his story. That you could tell that he was coming into this week in the mountains with a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff in his heart. A lot, on his, a lot of stuff. And the night that he's sharing his life story at 4th of July camp, like Colorado typically does, It starts to rain, and not just rain, but there's lightning. It is a storm, similar to what I would imagine looked like there. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. How is it that all of nature even could conspire against this kid's story right now? 
one more thing in his life to convince him that his story doesn't matter, that his life isn't valuable. We're going to have to move into the tent. Everyone's going to be distracted, cold and wet. Nobody's going to want to listen to him. And this poor kid's just going to sit there. And my guide partner and I are sitting there. And he looks at me. And I'm thinking the same thing. And we're, we have to pray. The sense in our heart at that moment, in my heart, in his heart, was that is one of you going to actually going to act like a son in this moment? Is one of you actually going to operate like a son and maybe pray that I might do something? So we have a group of high school kids that we've been talking about Jesus. We've been talking about, we've been telling them that, telling them that they also are heirs, co-heirs, sons and daughters. And here we are, the Lord saying, so pray. And the only thing that we're thinking is, what if? Does that level everything we've told them all week? As if it depended on us, Right? And so we pray, and in that moment, does the, does the wind, does the storm stop? No. <laughs> but what does happen was even better. The storm continues to fall all around us, except for the circle where we're sitting. We're in the middle of the backcountry. There's an opening in the trees. We're sitting on the ground in a circle, camp chair, sitting on the floor. And everywhere around us, the wind and the, way, and the rain is coming down, and we're sitting right there in perfect sunlight. It was as if the magnifying glass of the sun was right over us. We are taking off layers because it is so warm. And this kid, this young man, gets to tell his story. And at the end of it, nobody's saying anything. Everyone's recognizing it, going, wait a second. And at the end of, at the end of his life story, after we pray over him, he then turns and looks at us and goes, is it dry here and raining everywhere else? And we're sitting there going, it is. What are you going to do with that? And the change in his life and his physical posture, the way that he looked, was instantaneous. What if our response actually mirrored the magnitude? What if it equaled the magnitude of the invitation that God makes? And the last one is this. We have to receive grace each and every time we fail. We have to learn to receive grace. Because here's the reality, you guys. Take this as permission. You're going to mess up. <laughs> you and I are going to make mistakes. There's going to come a time where you and I realize, I am not living the way of Jesus right now. There's also going to come a time where Jesus says, Peter, what I really want you to do right now is to do this. And you're going to go, yeah, but. There's going to come a time where the way that we are living does not look like the way of Jesus. And there's going to come a time where we become distracted, just like Peter, with the ways of this world and everything around us, our circumstances. And you and I, in order to operate, in order to fully function in the kingdom of heaven, have to learn. We have to become professionals at receiving grace. And guess what, church? The good news is this, is that his grace is new each and every day. Each and every day. And I don't know about you, but I'm well acquainted with my story. And how often I find that I am not living the way of Jesus. And that is good news to me. That his grace is new each and every day. In order to function in the way of Jesus, this has got to become normal for us. We have to learn how to recognize Jesus. To become familiar with his ways. To become familiar with his voice. We have to learn how to respond in ways. We have to learn how to respond with faith and with courage, and that comes through time and practice, you guys, okay? Saying yes when it doesn't feel right, or what if I look like a fool, or what if Jesus, you look like a fool? Jesus will not allow himself to look like a fool. Faith and courage, and then lastly, we have to become professionals in this posture, which is why we come to this table each and every Sunday. 
This is a posture that the people of God, that citizens of God's kingdom are very familiar with. All that I have has been bestowed and is not mine. All that I have has been given to me. The grace that you are giving me today, the grace that I need right now, Jesus, you give freely. The grace that you'll give me tomorrow, you will give freely. The grace that you give me a year from now, you will give freely. And guess what, church? Hidden in that is this truth too. That Peter didn't forfeit anything. When, Pete, when Jesus reaches down and calls him and he grabs his hand and he pulls him out of the water, it's important that you hear this. He's not scowling. That when Jesus does things and says things like this, when Jesus says this to Peter, I think it's, I think it's so clear that Jesus was not doing that to condemn Peter as if to say, Peter, you idiot. I just fed 5,000 people and you were there. Two seconds ago, Peter, you were walking on water. I mean, come on. He didn't turn to the disciples and go, hey, I'm taking applications for a new rock upon which I will found my church. No. (laughs) He grabs Peter and he looks at him. He doesn't condemn. He does it to convict. He does it to remind Peter that he has something better for him. Then he walks him back to the boat. And what's the response? The purpose of all of this, what we're talking about, life in the kingdom. We see their response when they get back in the boat. The purpose, the goal of all of this is one word. Worship. Everybody else in the boat is getting to experience what Peter and Jesus are experiencing. And their response is to worship. Greater things than these. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do in order that the Father might be glorified through the Son. Amen? So church, would you bow your heads with me this morning? Peter goes on, and the entire book of Acts is a testimony to his experience with Jesus. I sincerely doubt that Peter used walking on water as part of his resume when he stood up in front of the synagogue and started preaching to the Jews. It was not about the miracle. The signs and the wonders weren't important. What was important was his nearness, his withness with Jesus. So Jesus, Lord, we just, we want to be with you where you are. Simply put, Jesus, today, we want to be, I want to be with you where you are this afternoon at my home with my wife and my daughters. I want to be with you where you are on a Tuesday. I want to be with you where you are doing the things that you do on a Wednesday. Jesus, we know that your plan is and has always been to bring your kingdom here on earth through the testimony of the church. Body and its members. So Jesus, for us today, New Life Downtown, would you give us the courage to respond? Would you help us to see and to recognize And Lord, above all else, thank you for the invitation to be with, to live and to move, to have our being in you, for the gift of the Holy Spirit that makes it all possible. Amen.